Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Glani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Katie Bean and Beth McIntyre, who are co-founders of prepaclinic.com and hosts of the informative and entertaining podcast, Where the White Coats Come Off. Katie and Beth are physician assistants with over a decade of cumulative PA academia experience, including doctorates in medical science. Their clinical backgrounds cover orthopedics, emergency medicine, regenerative medicine, and aesthetics. Their self-appointed mission is to provide medical professionals and students with the tools and tips needed to be competitive and successful candidates for acceptance into a PA program. So Katie and Beth, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today. Thanks for having us. Yes, we're super excited to be here. So can you start by telling us a bit about what first got you interested in a career as PAs and then ultimately pursuing doctorates and then hosting the podcast? Sure. So I was actually on track to go to med school, and I didn't even know what a PA was until probably my junior year of undergrad. One of my lab partners had told me about what a PA was, and I was totally attracted to the fact that we could switch specialties and go into different specialties. And I have shiny object syndrome, so that was perfect for me. And um, I always knew I was going to go into medicine. I've always loved science, always loved medicine. And I also wanted a career path that would allow me to practice internationally and globally. So that was my big reason. Yeah. And I come from a little different background. So I was a military kid. So my dad was in the military and as most of us know, PA stemmed from military medics. And so the military still uses a lot of PAs. So growing up, that's who I saw. I just, I never saw the physician. I always saw the PA. My best friend's dad was a PA. So I always knew about the PA profession and I was a big athlete. Uh, my kind of route was physical therapy. Cause I thought, oh, I really want to do rehab. I was a big soccer player and you know, half the girls on our team had to have ACL reconstructions and rehab. So I was just very familiar with that. Um, but in undergrad with a lot of shadowing and stuff, I realized that physical therapy wasn't really where I wanted to go. I wanted to more go the diagnostic route. And so I remembered all the time I had spent with my friend and her dad as a PA. And so I started shadowing more PAs. And then to realize that this is really the perfect blend of medicine, you get a lot of autonomy, um, you get to make diagnoses, you get to give treatment plans, etc. And you have this wonderful relationship with your collaborating physician. And so I really, really was attracted to that. And so that's why I ultimately ended up going to PA school. Well, it's an incredible profession. We've been very fortunate to work with, I think, over 30 PA programs and have had a number of PAs on this podcast. And so I'm curious, so you both became practicing physician assistants and you started this educational consulting business together, pre-PA clinic. Uh, so what, how, first of all, how did you two meet? And then what made you decide to start this organization? So we started working in academia at the same PA program on hired on the same day and April they, Fool's yeah. day. it was April 1st <laughs> and they stuck us in this tiny closet <laughs> and uh, we both had you know our office was in this tiny closet and we just really clicked uh, we love trail running we love to exercise uh, we were doing push-ups in the office when our students weren't in there with us <laughs> Yeah, we figured out we both love to travel. We both had unconventional childhoods. We didn't grow up in the same place like a lot of people do in the United States. You know, I grew up overseas. Uh, Katie grew up traveling a lot with her dad. And so we just had a lot of things in common. And that first week we were like, oh my gosh, like we're still like, we should start a business together. And we kind of laughed it off, right? Five years later, you know, skip forward, uh, middle pandemic. And then we finally just saw this need of these students for informative information about the PA process, PA 
career is exploding and we realize that like, hey, a lot of people have never heard of it. They don't know about it until they get to be a junior or senior. They're unsure about the application process. They don't know what makes a good PA. And so, you know, if students are intimidated or unable to figure out kind of the crazy PA application process, then we lose those students and we want to keep those students. We want to keep these amazing students that we have. And so that was kind of the impetus to start pre-PA clinics. It's like, hey, not only are we certified PAs, but we also worked in academia. So we've reviewed CASP applications. We've done PA school interviews and we know what we're looking for. And we don't want students to feel like, hey, it's too late. I'm too old. I'm too different. You know, I started my journey too late. We want everybody to be able to be a PA if they have the passion and the drive. And we just found out there's so much misinformation out there and so many students who just didn't really have anybody to help guide them through the path. And we thought that that was really unfortunate that students wouldn't have a mentor. So we decided to start Pre-PA Clinic to just give a leg up to those people to help them to answer questions and really just to keep the enthusiasm and the drive for these students because we didn't want to lose them to other professions because we love our profession and we see it just, again, getting even bigger and exploding more in the future and PAs are becoming more international now. And so it's just, it's so exciting. And we didn't want to lose some of these students that we think will be amazing providers. So that's why we started a Pre-PA Clinic. That's awesome. You know, that was actually a good good segue into my next question, which is obviously the reason we even launched this podcast is because the problems that we've both identified of trying to raise line of improve healthcare capacity require us investing in our workforce. First of all, getting a, a larger and more diverse applicant pool into these health professional programs, getting them through the programs, which is why my co-founder and I even started Osmosis to help people get through these academic programs, and then keeping them in the profession longer. Uh, COVID has obviously thrown a huge wrench in it. I think there's some tailwinds where people are like, oh, like I want to be a frontline healthcare hero too, where some other people are maybe like, you know, who are currently in the profession are burning out because they've been at this for 18 months and there's no sign of stopping. Um, one of my good friends, Michelle, is a PA in LA and she was telling me that, you know, 18 months later, it's as bad as ever, at least with the pandemic. So I'd love your thoughts on how the pandemic has affected your business as well as uh, the broader PA profession, both in terms of getting people into the profession, keeping them in the school or getting them through school, and then afterwards keeping them in the profession longer. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, as you said, there's kind of this dichotomy. So there are people who are just decided like, hey, the pandemic for a lot of people, it was time to think. It was time to relax, time where you didn't have outside distractions, you stayed at home, and you really had to kind of reevaluate your priorities in life. And so there are a lot of people who realize like, hey, I'm not making the impact I wanted to. You know, when I was 16, I wanted to do these things. I haven't done these things yet. You know, it was the reality that we don't know if we're going to be able to do these things yet. You know, there are people who are getting sick. There are people dying, you know, travel was stopped. So there was a lot of things happening that kind of made a lot of people realize like, hey, you know, seize the day kind of carpe diem type stuff. And so we had a lot of students that are like, during the pandemic, I realized I wanted to do more. So maybe I was a medical assistant and realized, hey, I wanted to help more. Or maybe I was in music or drama. And realized, hey, this, you know, this is great. I love this, but this is my recreation. I really want to make an impact in the world. So we have seen a lot of students during COVID um, and because a lot of times it's too because they struggled. So maybe they have some a mental health or someone in their family has mental health and they realize like, hey, there really needs to be more providers. And so I do think that we have seen a lot of students sort of move to the PA profession when they were kind of undecided or unsure or kind of came from other paths. Um, but a lot of our friends who are certified PAs and, and us ourselves as well, we were still working clinically in the COVID. It, it has been a huge burnout, right? There are some people who are like, I don't know that I can do this. There's people who, you know, who are going to social media, you've probably seen it like literally crying, like saying, please vaccinate, please vaccinate. Like, I don't know how much longer we can do this. Um, hospitalists, for example, we've got some hospitalist friends and they have been over, overrun 
Um, we, we have some former students of ours who went up to New York City and, you know, helped run the ventilators and stuff in these big cities. So we've really been coming together as like a healthcare community. I really feel like that. But I feel like there are people burning out and there is this, this thing of people like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore because there's this perception that the public doesn't care, right? That, that they just, you know, I don't want to vaccinate or I don't want to do this or that. Um, and, you know, who knows how, what the reality of this is, but social media and media in general is saying like, hey, the public, and that, the public doesn't care, they're not going to do what they want to do. And I know some of this is sensationalized, but I think some healthcare providers have really turned like, hey, I'm doing what I can to help you, and you're not doing your part for it. And so they feel kind of like people are ungrateful or just don't understand the sacrifice. And so I do think there's a dichotomy of, of what we see people are burning out. But I think that there is also a burning desire in students to like actually make a difference and then realize that like, hey, this is a great way that I can help people, not only my family, but my friends and my community. So hopefully that will all balance out. Uh, but I do kind of see both sides. What about you, Katie? Yeah, and I totally echo that. So burnout was a huge issue prior to the pandemic. And then it's tenfold now. However, our profession, and we may be biased, but our profession is literally the best profession in the world because we get to see the upcoming generation. We get to work with that generation that's going to into PA school. And we're so blessed to be able to work with them because they're just good people. They're good souls who really want to make an impact. They want to serve. They want to do so in our country globally. They want to make a difference. Totally. I mean, some of the best people I've met are PAs and the ones I've met a lot of times they come to the healthcare profession a little later in life after having worked in other careers, as you mentioned, and PA just makes the most sense for a lot of different reasons. It's almost like when people go through a couple of relationships and then ultimately, you know, find the one. Similarly, I think they go through a couple of careers and find the one and then they're more committed because they know what they don't want. They know what they do want, etc. So congrats again on releasing the book this year, Secrets, Tips, Tactics and Everything You Need to Know to Get into PA School. Can you give us a bit of a sense of what inspired you to write the book and how you're distributing it? Any other color you want to share? Sure. So we wrote it because we saw candidates making the same mistakes over and over again. Um, there was also a lack of direction during like the undergraduate process to PA school. There's a lot of hoops you need to jump through, a lot of prerequisites that you have to meet to actually get into PA school. So we wrote it for that reason. And seeing those same mistakes over and over, we wanted to help candidates to not make those mistakes, to give them a better chance to get into PA school and kind of demystify the whole process. Yeah, as you alluded to, it's a second career for a lot of people. And I think that's what makes PA special is that a lot of people come with a lot of different life experience. They come with a maturity level. But also, if you imagine like you're 32 years old, you've been working, you feel a little intimidated by, okay, going back to school, taking prereqs again. And a lot of people, when they went to school the first time, it wasn't all online, right? Now the application process is online. All the testing is online. So that can be really intimidating. And I think the students we have, as Katie said, we're so blessed because people who want to be PAs and PA students are like the most driven, compassionate population or cohort in the United States. It is so true. And so if you literally tell them the things that they need to do, they will go out and do it. They just need some direction because a lot of schools don't have pre-PA clubs. A lot of students have guidance counselors or advisors who can give them advice, but who don't actually know the inner workings of PAs, right? And so for us, we come not only as certified PAs, we've been through the process ourselves, but we come from, hey, we've taught at different PA institutions. We understand why they ask these questions. We understand why this is a requirement. It's not just a check in the box, what it actually means to us and what we're kind of looking for. And so we come from it from that type of background. And again, we just wanted to kind of level the playing field and say, hey, anybody can figure out what you need to do to get to PA school. And here's step a, here's steps B, you know, here are your options here and figure out what fits your background, because that's the great thing about PA school is there's, you know, 
over 200 schools. There's almost 300 schools now in the United States. You can find someone, right, who fits your background, who fits your experience, um, who fits what you want, like your mission statement and your vision for your future. You can find someone. It's just kind of wading through all that red tape of every school is a different opening date. Every school is a different closing date. Every school starts at a different time. They have different prereqs. And it can get so overwhelming that people are like, never mind, maybe it's not for me. Uh, and we didn't want that to happen. So we decided the book might be one of the best ways to do that. Um, one, because we love to read. <laughs> Total nerds here. Um, and two, it was just something that we thought, you know, could be updated regularly and just for, for our students who maybe weren't on social media. So if you're 45 years old, maybe this is your second or third career, maybe you're not on Instagram. And so you don't really know, but you could purchase the book and ours is online. It's PDF. So you get emailed it right away as soon as you get it. And you can go ahead and read it and highlight passages and figure out what you need to do to make yourself the best candidate and make yourself really, really strong and figure out what we're looking for in PA school to see if it matches you. And that's kind of why we went with the book at first, because we know not everybody's on social media, not everyone wants to be on Facebook. Um, and it kind of transcends generations, it transcends cultures, you know, everybody reads. And so we just figured that might be a really good way to, again, reach everybody. As you talked about, we need more diversity, you know, we need more people, we need everybody, all cultures, all ethnicities, all backgrounds. And so for something like a book, I think can kind of reach out to every single person. And that's kind of the beauty of PA school as well. So we sat on the admissions board and we don't take the top 10%, right, of GPA. We look at the entire application. So yeah, they may have a lower GPA, but they have all of this incredible clinical experience. You know, they were a medic in the military or whatever. They have a really, really strong personal statement. They have excellent shadowing hours. So we look at the whole thing. And so a lot of applicants don't realize that. So they get really freaked out by, a, you know, like a less than average GPA. And they don't realize that they just need to apply to the right programs that really value their other strengths. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, having applied to, to health professional programs myself. And, you know, when I was in my first year of med school with Ryan, my co-founder at Osmosis, one of the things that impressed me was there were a few students who were like in their 30s and 40s after serving in the military or, you know, bartending or immigrating and learning English in the U.S. and like becoming an electrician before going to med school and showed kind of the diversity of paths. But generally, you know, most people fit the mold of, you know, two years out of college, academic rock stars, et cetera. So what are some of like the advice you'd give to our listeners, many of whom are pre-health professions, about getting into PA school, why they should go into PA school, and what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you hear from people who come across your site? Like if you had an FAQ, like one or two things that people think about the PA profession or about getting into PA school that you constantly have to debunk? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Let's start with the second part, like some of the myths that we have, and Katie alluded to this earlier, people think if they don't have a 4.0 that they're not going to get into PA school. And so it is truly a holistic process. We have literally told 4.0 students, no, you're not right for our program. And we've literally accepted, you know, 2.75 students. So there's tons of studies out there that show GPA does not 100% correlate with success in life, okay? And we know that, you know, especially if it's a second career for you, you're not the same person you were 18. So yeah, maybe at 18, you had too much fun, you partied, whatever, and now you're 38, you've been in the military for 10 years, you have two kids, like you've learned some maturity and you've kind of learned some things through life. And so we do take that into account. And so there's actually a lot more non-traditional students in PA school than you would think. And we get ton all the time, like I'm too different, I'm too old, I'm too late, we hear I'm too late all the time. There is no late. 
Like what time frame are you thinking late? Like anybody can be a PA. If you still want to work and want to serve and want to, you know, impact the world, there is no late. Like you're on your own time frame. And so those are two things that we really have to debunk the fact that you have to be perfect because it's not true. And in fact, you know, our best students are usually the ones that, yeah, I mean, obviously they have uh, great critical thinking skills and great grades, but it's things like compassion and things like empathy, the things you can't teach that make the best PA. So we can teach you medicine, right? If you're willing to learn and willing to put the hard work in, we can teach you what you need to know, but you need to come with the compassion, the empathy, the desire to serve. You need to come with those kind of personal qualities or soft qualities or soft skills, as they say, because that's what really makes a difference. Your patients are going to be able to tell if you care about them or if they're just a number, just a chart, just another chief complaint to get through, right? And so the best PAs are the ones that come with those qualities. And, I, you know, your GPA, yeah, I mean, obviously you need to maintain a minimum, but otherwise I really don't care. You know, whether you graduate with a 3.0 or 4.0, if you pass your boards, you're a PA, right? You're certified. So once you have that certification, you know, no one's ever asked me like, what'd you get in PA school? Well, you know, what'd you get in this class, right? No one cares because once you become certified, it just, you assume that you have this basic level of knowledge that the certification test shows. So that, and then the whole, I'm too late thing, like you are not too late. You're not too different. It's, you know, you haven't made too many mistakes in the past because again, we know you're not the same person. We're not the same people we were at 18 either, right? Thank God. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. And we just love to see that maturity. We love to see that difference. And we love people from different backgrounds because you come from a different viewpoint than someone else. And so for example, Like maybe, as you said, you immigrated, you learned English and now you want to serve. Well, you come from a background and you have a viewpoint and you have empathy for things that we're not going to be able to have because we haven't had those experiences. So having people with all kinds of different experiences, like, hey, I dropped out of college the first time because I was, you know, wild and crazy and and didn't want to study. Okay, well, when I went back the second time, I realized how important it was. And, you know, I really, really buckled down. And those are the kind of experiences we want because it just shows that you're a real person because PAs are real people and your patients are real people. And we want people of kind of all different experiences and backgrounds because you come with a different viewpoint that can really help your patients. Yeah, I'd also like to tell pre-PAs, quit being so hard on yourself. Um, That is one of the biggest things, like give yourself some grace. Like we have clients that come to us and they're like, you know, my GPA is 3.6. And I've got 2000 patient care experience hours and I'm never going to get into PA school. And we're like, you're awesome. You're amazing. So just because you don't have a 4.0, just like Beth said, we have told many 4.0s no because they weren't a great fit for our program. Um, and then the other thing is, is to that same like compassion, empathy for being a great healthcare provider. When you're applying to PA school, let that come out in your personal statement. That's really important because the rest of your application is just basically stats, right? It's numbers that you can't really change. Um, but your personal statement is a really great place to let all of that passion that Beth was talking about come through. Yeah. And it's, it's scary to kind of be vulnerable and to tell stories and to tell how much this means to you, but that's what you have to do because there's a lot of people who apply to PA school. And if you want to stand out, you have to be true because the people interviewing you are clinicians. So our job for a living is to talk to people and get the cues and kind of figure out what's really going on, what they're telling us, what they're not telling us. So we are very good about kind of ferreting out what the truth is. And so don't tell us what you think we want to hear tell us the truth because clinicians can, we just know, we know if it's sincere, we can tell if it's sincere, especially during the interview. And so don't feel like, you know, Hey, I read this answer online and this is what I need to say. No, we really want to hear from you because the whole point of the PA interview process is to see if you fit with our school, right? Every school is a different culture, different values, different mission statements. And so you might not be right for every school and that's okay. It's just like, as you said, with people, you just need to find the one, right? You just need to find that one person. You need to find that one school that works with you, that matches your experience and background. And so no, maybe, you know, these 10 schools don't, but maybe these five schools do. And so every school weights things differently. 
differently. Every school has a different characteristic that they're looking for in PAs. And so look at the prereqs, look at their mission statement, look at their values, look at what they do in the community and figure out which one you think matches best with your passion and drive. And then it's really just a shoe in. You find the school that matches you and you show them your passion, your personality, as Katie said, and then, you know, they're going to want to accept you. That's wonderful advice that you packed in there. And it applies to, to really all, all professions, but especially I think PA, which you guys know so much about having been on the admissions committees. You know, a quick question I had about the PA degree, because, you know, what we're finding is there are a lot of people in the medical school world and increasingly nursing school too, who are doing like joint degrees or they're doing like, I, I was on an MD MBA track. I haven't finished my MD. I took time off to start osmosis, but I did finish my MBA. I'm curious, are a lot of PAs pursuing like masters in public health or health administration or, or even something else? Is that something that's common? Are there any joint programs at this point? There are a few dual degree programs. Most of them are like BSMS. So it's like a five-year thing. You come in as a freshman, you take two or three years of undergraduate. And then if you meet certain criteria, you automatically graduated into their master's program. And so there are about half a dozen schools or so that do have this dual degree. And so most of them are that. I think there is one school that has an option to get public health and PA degree at the same time, but most of them are dual degrees with bachelors. Now we do have a lot of students come in with master's degrees already. So public health is a big one. Any kind of biological sciences is a big one. We've had people with engineer degrees, with history degrees, nutrition, people who have RN degrees, occupational therapy degrees, et cetera. But there are a few programs that like, hey, if you know as a freshman, like this is what you want to do, you can enroll in these dual degree programs. And then again, they do offer, one school offers like a public health master's along with the PA master's. You do have to take extra classes for that. And so it's a little bit longer. Got it. Yep, that's helpful. I'm sure as as more schools offer the PA program or degree, I'm sure there'll be more you know cross collaborations between the public health school or the business school or maybe engineering school. Who knows? So, you guys also obviously super engaging guests on our podcast, but you also run your own podcast of where the white coats come off. There's an episode that you talk about why failure is actually a good thing. I wanted to delve into that topic because a lot of people, especially people listening to podcasts like this, are very hard on themselves, as you said, Katie. They don't give themselves as much grace. So can you talk a bit about why failure can be a positive? So uh, failure is absolutely essential to growth. I mean, it's just part of life. You're going to fail at something eventually. And we actually learn so much more from our failures than our successes sometimes. So if you, for instance, if you think back to a big exam, so uh, I'll use myself as an example. When I was in PA school, I had an Osler and I totally blew it. I mean, blew it. It was terrible. Uh, so I learned more from that and I will never, ever miss that diagnosis on a patient and what I need to order, how to diagnose and treat and all that jazz. I will never miss that because I failed that. Yeah. And so I actually think failure is a really good thing. And I think you should fail as a child, you know, so you learn to get over it because a lot of kids these days, they're not allowed to fail. And this is, you know, we can talk about society, school system, whatever. They're not allowed to fail because, oh, it hurts their self-esteem or for whatever reason. But the problem is, it's a lot easier to deal with something as a six-year-old. So like a six-year-old just blows off stuff. If they get the answer wrong, they don't care, right? But by the time you get to be 16, you're not going to raise your hand in class unless you're 100% sure you got to know the answer. Because again, you don't want to look like a failure in the eyes of your peers. You don't want to be made fun of. There's a lot of reasons for this, society reasons for this. And so somewhere growing up, we become to think, hey, failure is a bad thing, right? But you have to think about it. Like scientists fail a hundred times before they find the right antibiotic or before they find the right mechanism of action. And so in life, you know, you are going to fail. And so we love people who've shown that they failed because it shows that you have 
coping mechanisms. It shows that when things don't go perfectly in life, whether it's academic or didn't make the team or I missed the goal shot for, you know, to win the championship, whatever it is, like being able to overcome that is so important because life isn't going to be perfect. In PA school, out of PA school, there will be things, whether they're work things or personal things that are going to happen to you. And you have to be able to be able to move on from that. And again, it's a lot easier to learn to fail with grace and give yourself like, hey, I tried my best type thing, or hey, I'm going to do a little bit different next time than it is to learn that as an adult, right? And they say, you know, a lot of times you, you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail a hundred times and all you need is that one success. And I think us in kind of business, we kind of understand that like not everything works, right? But being able to realize like, hey, I didn't do perfect but I'm still going to keep going. So something like that, like failing an Osler, you know, Katie didn't have the coping mechanisms to realize like, hey, that doesn't mean I'm a failure. Okay. So you are not a failure. You just failed at something. Right. And to pick herself up and be like, okay, what am I going to learn for this? I need to study differently. I need to figure out these diagnoses. I guess I realized I didn't understand how to look at this or whatever it is. And so she learned from that. And she's like, I'm never making that mistake again. This is what I've learned. And so again, that's growth. If you can't do that, like how are you going to do that as a clinician? Because sometimes we don't know what's going on. We have to get some tests. Sometimes, you know, we think this is a diagnosis and then we find out later, actually it's something else. Uh, and so there are just times when you're just going to have to fail or be unsure or not know. And if you don't have those coping mechanisms, it's going to be really, really hard in life. So my thought is, is that we should let children fail and we shouldn't punish it. Right. And so, you know, in school, like you're punished for failure. Like if you're like, Hey, how do you spell this word? Or what is the middle of the cell called or something? And, and you get, you know, you get a point off, right? So that, that's minus. And so instead of using it as something positive, like, well, hey, you tried. And why did you think that way? Like, why did we fail? Like figuring out where it went wrong, the thinking process and changing the thinking process. So we get the right answer. We just say, oh, sorry, point off, right? And I know that this is like getting deep ingrained into what our society and our school system does, but it punishes failure until you get to the time that when they're 18, they are too afraid to tell an answer out loud because it might be failure. And they see failure as something bad instead of as like, hey, I was curious. I thought this might be the right answer. Why was it wrong? Because that's really what's important. They just care that they got it wrong, right? But really the important part is why did you get it wrong? Was it wrong thinking? Was it wrong information? Did you just have no idea, you know? And so I like to think like, okay, we need to figure out where we went wrong and think where the thinking process went wrong. And this is a big thing in PA school. So on your differential, you know, if you, if you have a standardized patient and you get it wrong, well, it's not the fact that you got it wrong. It's okay. What well, the thinking process was wrong. Well, okay. You thought it was, you know, uh, pulmonary. Why did you think it was pulmonary? Well, because they complained of shortness of breath. Well, did you even think about this? And you know, that's not the thing. And so we need to figure out again, like where the thinking process goes wrong and fix that instead of just punishing the failure. At least that's my opinion. Sorry, I rambled on a lot about that. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm, you're clearly passionate about it. And it's good advice, again, not just for people going into PA or health professionals programs, but in general. And that, that's why it resonated. So I know we're coming up in time. So I had two last questions for you. The, the first is, you know, what's one big piece of advice you'd give to people considering careers in health or PA right now about meeting the challenges of COVID and beyond? So my biggest piece of advice is find your deeper why. So, you know, you ask people why you want to be a PA, they're like, oh, flexibility, and they can tell you all these surface things. But to make it through the PA application process and to truly make it through PA school, you really have to dig deep on why. So, okay, I want to serve people. Why do you want to serve people? Like what in your background or what in your person, your soul, whatever it is, makes you want to serve? Because when times get hard, the students that have the deeper why that are doing this for a reason 
are going to fare so much better than the students who maybe when times get tough, they're like, it's not worth it because they don't have that deeper why, because it is tough. It's expensive. It's time of your life. It's, you know, life energy. It's everything to get not only to PA school, but to get through PA school. So find out really why. And sometimes it takes a lot of asking yourself like, okay, I want to serve. Well, why do I want to serve? Because I want to make a difference. Well, why do I want to make a difference? You know, and it's really, really getting down and keep asking why until you get to like core of who you are. And hold on to that because when time gets tough it's the people who are in it for the right reasons that are going to weather the storm whether it's burnout or whether it's testing or whether it's getting into PA school whatever it is you are going to weather that storm and you are going to be an amazing PA if you can hang on to that why so great minds think alike because Beth took my answer <laughs> but um I will go with a more practical answer then uh so make sure you get some really good solid patient care experience so for all the pre-PAs that are coming in because this really builds a solid foundation for when you get into PA school so it's much harder for our students that we've had who have zero clinical background zero clinical experience to come into PA school blind essentially they're learning a new language the medical language is totally different than any other language they've heard before um, they don't have the frame of reference as the other students that we have that have had a, a good background in patient care. So think about things like, you know, patient care tech, medical assistant, phlebotomy. Um, if you're in the military, medic is amazing. You know, every single medic we've come across has been incredible. So really try and get some patient care experience hours underneath your belt because it's going to make PA school so much easier uh, and to go a little bit smoother for you. That's awesome advice. Um, my last question, anything else you want our audience to know about you about the book about pre-pa clinic or the profession as a whole i guess we're biased but we just think it's the best profession and we think that anybody who truly wants to be a pa can succeed and can become a pa so never stop striving never stop achieving everybody's journey is different we have worked with people who've taken four cycles to get in and we've worked with people who got in their very first cycle so don't compare yourself to others because comparison is the thief of joy right and we know that and so students end up comparing themselves like oh i had the exact same stats as him and he got in this i'm like you're not him right you're not her you have different experiences and so you're unique hold that uniqueness and be proud of that uniqueness and just realize that your journey is going to look different than someone else's, but it's okay because at the end of the line, you know, when you become that PAC and we all become colleagues, it doesn't matter if you got in your first time or your second time or your third time, we all end up in the same place. We all end up, you know, serving and impacting our communities. And so just realize that your journey might be a little different than someone else's, but that's not bad. And my last thing is that if you love PAs, wherever you are, whether you're a doc, whoever's listening, a doc, an NPPA, advocate for PAs to go global. Beth yes. and I have a huge passion for international PAs, and we think that PA should be in every single country in the world. There's no reason why we shouldn't be. So if you love a PA out there, advocate for our profession to go global. That's awesome. That's definitely close to our heart. One of my favorite pages at osmosis is osmosis.org forward slash world and we have stories from nurses and doctors all around the world and increasingly pas now and think in the uk there's a huge pa contingent but it's how many do you know how many countries pa is in at this point or like 18 or 20 yeah we've interviewed quite a few um so it's uh uk it's about 22 canada, i think yeah yeah yeah. I mean, even Africa has PAs, India has PAs, UK, Canada, obviously that are close to us. And so Netherlands has PAs. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we do a lot of international PA podcasting too. And it's really, really quite amazing. And sometimes they're called different things like their position associates in UK. And then in South Africa, they're called 
uh, clinical associates. Something I think. like yeah. yeah. So they have different names, um, but they all stem from the PA profession, and I think it's amazing. And the good thing about it is that they're kind of tailoring it to the community needs. So the community needs in Africa, for example, are going to be more infectious disease and less chronic disease, right? And they realize that, and so they tailor their PA education to the things that their community needs. And so it is very much like organically, hey, you know, what do we need in our community in our country? Which makes so much sense because if you do just a carbon copy, what we do in the United States, it's not going to be appropriate for patient populations in different areas that have different healthcare needs. Awesome. Well, that's a great thing to end on. But Katie, Beth, thanks so much for not only taking the time to be with me on the podcast today, but more importantly for the work that you're doing to help get people into PA professions and then ultimately to raise line and improve healthcare capacity. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having us. Yes. Wonderful talking to you. Really appreciate it. And with that, I'm Shivigvani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.